Thank you, Kate. Let's pray. Lord, in these weeks after Easter, we read the stories of your first disciples coming from doubt to faith. So we pray that you will be with us as we reflect upon your word, that we may come into a more real and a deeper faith, a greater certainty through the living presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, during this last week, quite a lot of the news focus in the United Kingdom has been on Northern Ireland. And that's because we've passed the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Peace Agreement that was made back in 1997. It was quite a historical occasion. And it came at the end of some 30-odd years of what were known as the troubles, the conflicts uh, between the various political groups there very often categorised simply as Catholic and Protestant. Um, I was reminded during this week, therefore, of the visit that I paid during one of my sabbaticals to Northern Ireland back in the early 1990s. It was at a time when the, the troubles were very much still bubbling. And during the first six days that I was in the, the province, uh, there were five sectarian murders of one sort or another. I spent one week at the uh, well-known worldwide uh, famous Corrymeela community on the northern shores of Northern Ireland, a gathering of Catholic and Protestant people who uh, welcomed all sorts of people there uh, in order to um, gather together for under mutual understanding and for prayer. And the other week I spent was uh, actually in the city of Belfast, in West Belfast on the Springfield Road. And that was at a very small and much lesser known community of reconciliation known as the Cornerstone Community. A couple of houses that uh, uh, just housed about five people who lived together, but who had a, a rather larger community gathered around them uh, in Northern Ireland and well beyond people who had committed themselves daily to pray for reconciliation. I did a lot of walking around the city whilst I was there, and it was uh, particularly walking around West Belfast, the roads off the Springfield Road, that I became very aware of those massive murals that were painted on the gable ends of houses, uh, terraced houses. Uh, amazing murals, really, uh, beautifully done. But of course, the messages were very, very political, very sectarian, and often they carried a huge amount of hostility. And I remember as I walked around the street and seeing these uh, massive murals on the gable ends of houses, wondering what it was like for small children to grow up in that community. They had been born into this community where they were facing these messages of hatred and division day by day. It was in their face every time they went out to the shops or to school. That's what they were born into. Some of you know I like reading biographies and uh, very often when uh, somebody writes somebody else's life story they will begin with their early years. They start by telling you what a person has been born into. Sometimes they were born into deprivation and poverty and then the story goes on wonderfully to describe how through hard work and persistence and all the rest of it, a lot of encouragement maybe, 
<clears throat> that person uh, manages to, uh, although they were born into poverty and deprivation, they manage to make life good for themselves. I was born into um, a loving and a Christian home, I'm very thankful to say. I was wanted. <clears throat> I was very much wanted. My parents had married in 1936. And uh, my mother had a miscarriage, I think, in 1939 or 1940. Then my father went into the army, and so he was away for much of the year, years of the war. And uh, had it not been for the fact that his mother died during that time and he was allowed to come home for a day or two, I might not have arrived at all. Uh, so I was, by all, after all that time, I was very much wanted, at least until I arrived and they saw what had arrived. Uh, but I came into a home where I was wanted, and I was loved, I was prayed for before I was born, I was encouraged, I was given space to develop any talents and gifts that I seemed to have. I was taken to church, I was encouraged to belong to the Christian community, and I was able to make a decision to serve and follow Christ for myself. I wonder what you were born into. If you were born into something that was good, you may take it for granted, you may be very thankful for it and often thank God for it. If you were born into something that was pretty difficult, maybe you spent the years of your life trying to get over it and come to terms with it. What we're born into shapes a great deal of what we become during the rest of our lives. Last week was Easter Sunday and um, we are still in the Easter season of the Christ Christian year. The resurrection of Jesus is not just an event in history. It is a life-changing event which has impacted the world and changed the world over a period of 20 centuries. And when Peter wrote that letter, which um, Kate has just read to us some verses from, he tells his readers, his Christian readers, that they have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's make no mistake about it, this message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was absolutely central to the life of the Christian church. It wasn't an optional extra. It was there right at the heart of the preaching of the early Christians in the early church. And if it hadn't been for the resurrection, there wouldn't have been anything to preach about, really. Uh, Jesus told some memorable stories. He carried out some quite miraculous works of teaching. Um, but if his death had been the end, it would all have faded out fairly quickly. There would have been no powerful, life-giving message to declare to the world. But because of his resurrection from the dead, as Peter says, we have been born into a living hope and there was good news to proclaim and has been in all the centuries of Christian history. Well, what was at the heart of this living hope? Well, Peter mentions several things in this short passage. Firstly, he writes about an inheritance that never spoils or fades. We receive many things in life, don't we? Uh, some of them last for a long time and some of them don't. Sometimes things come to us through an inheritance. We may inherit a large sum of money, but that uh, sum of money can quickly be spent or, or squandered. We may inherit some particular family heirloom. But even a family heirloom can be stolen. Sometimes the things we buy carry with them a guarantee. 
very often a guarantee for a year, maybe two years, possibly five years. And just occasionally I've come across something that is guaranteed for a lifetime. But no shopkeeper in his right mind will offer you anything better than that. An inheritance, the inheritance that we have through Jesus Christ, the blessings that God wants to give us are safe because they're being kept for us in heaven. There is an eternal dimension to the blessings that God wants to give. And sometimes the blessings that we begin to experience here in worship, in Christian fellowship, in our growing faith, uh, we describe as being a foretaste of the heavenly banquet, an inheritance kept for us in heaven. And then Peter mentions another blessing, another thing for which we're able to rejoice because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He says, because of this, you're able to rejoice even in times of suffering griefs in all kind of trouble. I have to say that some of the most joyous people I have ever met in the whole of my life were people who had perhaps the least to celebrate, at least by the, this world's standards. They lived on farm, on uh, land that was hard to farm, soil that was not very helpful or productive. Few of them had chance to send their children to school. Most of their families had been affected by the AIDS epidemic and almost a whole generation of parents had been wiped out. They were people I met during a visit to eastern Uganda 20 years ago. And yet the Christians in the villages that I visited uh, very privileged to visit and meet, demonstrated a joyous uh, celebration in their life that I've really rarely met anywhere else. They knew how to rejoice through times of trouble. And I felt deeply humbled to visit them, and especially to share in their worship in one or two places. And that kind of rejoicing is possible and only possible because of our hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, because he has conquered death and all that is evil. And then Paul, Peter mentions one more thing in this passage as well. He writes about salvation. And I think here it's worth remembering that this is a letter that was believed, we believe it to be genuinely uh, written and composed by Peter the Apostle. You know, there's debate and discussion that goes on amongst some biblical scholars about how genuine the name is that appears at the beginning of some of the letters. People are not sure whether Paul wrote all the letters that are ascribed to him or not. But scholars generally believe that uh, the letter that bears the name of Peter or the two letters that bear the name of Peter had been written by him, although in fact a scribe actually did the writing, a man called Sylvanus, and Peter seemed to sign it off at the end. So this is the sort of the genuine article. This is the disciple, the apostle Peter, writing about salvation. And when Peter writes about salvation, he's talking about personal experience. Peter had spent a long time with Jesus, you know, always ready uh, to say something, never short of a word, often protesting his loyalty uh, to Jesus, at least until the chips were down in the judgment hall when Jesus was on trial and at the very moment when Jesus needed him, Peter failed him. And uh, Peter, when he was challenged about his friendship with Jesus, denied that he even knew Jesus. 
Peter had often managed to say the wrong thing, but this time he'd messed up really badly, big time, and unforgivably. Well, actually not unforgivably, that's the point. Because in one of those stories after Easter, Jesus comes to his disciples and then directly speaks to Peter and challenges him about his love for Jesus. And receiving that affirmation, that confirmation once again that Peter does love Jesus, Jesus offers him forgiveness, reinstates him to work in his kingdom. And so when Peter writes about salvation, he is really offering his personal testimony and saying, God has saved me from having messed up big time. We all mess up sometimes. Sometimes it may be small time, sometimes it may be big time. But whenever we mess up, if we are penitent and humble and come back to him, we can know that same salvation, that same forgiveness that the apostle Peter knew. And these are just some of the ways in which we're born into a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's worth noting just one more thing. One of the biblical commentators writing about this letter of Peter says these words, the most striking characteristic that distinguished the early Christians from their pagan neighbours was their hope. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? The thing that uh, distinguished the early Christians most from their pagan neighbours was hope. And he goes on to explain, and I think these words are well worth taking uh, note of, he says, the world of ancient Greek and Roman civilization was a world of fascinating beauty. It would boast of splendid courage, high intellectual power, and superb loveliness of poetry and art. But in spite of all the grandeur and charm, it was a world without hope. A world without hope. I wonder whether that resonates with you, it certainly does with me, as we reflect on the sort of society we live in. We live in a world which is industrially very uh, sophisticated. Many places it is technologically advanced. We have the most wonderful, mind-blowing systems of communication. Medically, we are developed to uh, a degree that we wouldn't have dreamt of even 50 years ago. But would you describe our society as being full of people who are full of hope? Well, I wouldn't. So often the very opposite seems true. We so often seem to be a society full of people in despair. And one of the distinctive characteristics of Christians is that we should be hopeful people because we have been born to this living hope through the resurrection of the dead by our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course the secret of living in this living hope is the fact that we are living in Christ. We're not just following the words of some one wise guy who lived 2,000 years ago. He lives, and he lives not only in the world and everywhere, but he lives within us if we invite him. It was the Apostle Paul who coined that phrase, in Christ. And I'm told 
I have to confess I haven't checked, but uh, I'm told that he used that letter, that phrase in his letters 200 times. That phrase, in Christ. What he means by being in Christ is that we live in communion with Christ. It describes a friendship with the living Christ. And that really, that phrase hits the very central nerve of Paul's understanding of Christianity. It is because we have a belief in the living Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, that we can have hope because he lives in us and we live in him. And we do give expression to that very phrase Sometimes in a prayer that we use in our communion service, on the occasions when we use that prayer that we call the prayer of humble access, the prayer that begins, we do not presume to come to this thy table, O Lord, merciful Lord. We pray the words, feed us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, your son, that he may live in us and we may live in him. That we may live in him and he in us. What a privilege to be able to live in that living hope through the resurrection of the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what a privilege and an opportunity to witness to our living Lord by being bearers of hope in a world which is full of despair. Amen.